0: Some are greatly affected when in company, but have nothing that bears any manner of proportion to it in secret. In close meditation, prayer and conversing with God when alone, and separated from the world, a true Christian doubtless delights in religious fellowship and Christian conversation and finds much to affect his heart in it. But he also delights at times to retire from all mankind, to converse with God in solitude. And this also has peculiar advantages for fixing his heart and engaging his affections. True religion disposes persons to be much alone in solitary places for holy meditation and prayer. It is the nature of true grace, however it loves Christian society in its place in a peculiar manner to delight in retirement and secret converse with God. Jonathan Edwards Hello, everyone. You are listening to A Word Fitly Spoken. I'm Willie Grills here with Zelwyn Heidi to talk about
1: unplugging. Zelwyn, how are you? I'm doing well, Willie. Glad to be back in the saddle again as we get rolling in our new season. And uh, things are pretty much the same out here, to be honest. Thing The drought is still going the way it is, and we haven't seen a whole lot of rain. Our crops aren't quite what we expected them to be, but... I, I feel like we need to bring up Habakkuk and say that we'll still praise the Lord regardless. So, all
0: right, there you go. Oddly sunny out here on the prairie. Uh, on my my prairie, you're you you are in the true prairie. I'm in the the O.G. prairie <laughs> with uh not not very much wind. I mean we've had we've had a couple storms here and there, but at, at this actual moment in the as we record. You don't hear that rustling outside my windows. That means that the wind has, has died down a bit. Sometimes the wind, folks, is so severe out here that we can't record because it's so noisy. It blows all of
1: Willie's internets away.
0: Right. <laughs> <laughs> and if we were a different podcast, I would say, hey, folks, just uh, you know, sign up for my Patreon and, and help me get eggshell walls. But we're not going to do that. We're not going to do that here. <laughs> we're just going to schedule our stuff around the times and seasons. And as as one does.
1: Feels pretty wholesome to be honest. Feels
0: pretty good. Uh yeah, so that's that's where we are. You know, we spent the summer uh going to and fro doing things and now we're back here on, on the podcast and we spend a lot of time on the internet and we know the lingo, as it were, Zelwyn, even though we're both like a thousand years old in internet terms. <laughs> We try to keep up. And it it does necessitate a lot of time online. And yet this episode is actually going to be about removing ourselves from the online world a bit, understanding that there are blessings that come along with this and there are benefits, especially in uniting disparate communities. But as far as our personal lives are concerned and your personal lives as listeners, we all know that we have the little spy device in our pockets and we have our computers and our TVs listen to us and our refrigerators now listen to us and (laughs) we can control our thermostats with our phones because walking five steps to the wall has become just too much to do, that we are really too far plugged into the machine. And that might not be good for us. And we're going to talk a little bit about why that is. Um, We might get a little out there talking about what the machine is doing to us and how it's dehumanizing us, but we're also going to look at some biblical examples of what it means to fellowship with one another, and to be around with one another, to be in community with one another, but also times in the scripture where you see great examples of people going off into the wilderness, into woods as it were, to be alone and to pray alone, or examples of praying quietly, or, or advice on how to pray quietly, or how we should pray. And so that's that's the episode to sort of unpack these things, what we see in online Christianity, the blessings and the curses that it brings and uh, and how being too plugged in, if we're not careful, leads to despair. Or is that overstating the case?
1: No, I don't think it's overstating the case because we all have experienced that panic, which we feel whenever we can't find a smartphone or something like that. Or uh, that, that general hysteria, which we might have. Sometimes even people who can't go like a single day without logging into Facebook multiple times a day or whatever it may be. You know, we are living in a culture which is increasingly plugged in in lots of different ways. You mentioned the machine and all of this, of course, reminds me of uh, E.M. Forrester's story The Machine Stops, which I think is something that might actually be helpful for our listeners have you read that story willie i don't believe i have wait no
0: that's yeah like 1909
1: right right yeah 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 yeah. basically a a science fiction story yeah yeah sorry (laughs) a, a, a dystopian future in which mankind is living entirely underground dependent on a machine which they're no longer able to fix and basically what happens when that machine comes to a halt And I I think that that's telling in itself because, you know, what would happen to us in the case of, say, our machine coming to a halt? You know, what would we be able to function? Would we be able to continue our lives? Or is it something where we would feel completely disrupted? Human beings, for the most part, apart from spiritual
0: discipline, are are naturally prone to addiction to one degree or another. Not everybody's predisposed to alcohol addiction or drug addiction, but... I think addiction in general is something that people are vulnerable to. And while we can understand and empathize with someone who's hooked on a substance, all we need to do is look around and see how people are addicted to technology, the mindless scrolling through things, and how easily the human emotion is manipulated. From, from everything from r- political posts meant to make you angry, to cat posts, Meant to do whatever they're supposed to do. But they hold a swath over a large portion of the country. Indeed, that's the real regime. People who are addicted to bad memes. Those are the, those are the people. The people making those memes are the real people in power, unfortunately. But our meme magic is better. So we'll win in the end, but still. Right,
1: right. <laughs> yeah, I mean... And it really does come down to a question of, you know, what are we going to do in this situation? How are we going to deal with this kind of addiction, which technology can can bring about? And so, yeah, this is maybe a continuation of our earlier episode on uh, Tubalcane's forage. Um, and maybe I'd encourage our listeners to go back and to listen to that. But we do want to focus specifically on uh, the the kind of behaviors and the kind of dependencies that being constantly plugged in. Can bring with it if we're not careful. So where do you want to start with it, Willie? Well, first, I believe that
0: and it's patently clear, that digital communication is rapidly replacing in-person communication. Right. We'll start with an easy one. Like it's hard to conduct business in person now. Right? And 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 pre-COOF stuff, but pre-COVID stuff, it was hard to do. And now in some cases it's borderline impossible. So everything is becoming dependent upon a digital platform. And we use this example a lot and we sound like, you know, just some, you know, angry old man yelling at the sky, yelling at a <laughs> cloud when we say it, but it, it is true. If you, if you look around, you'll see a group of friends sitting around and just everybody's on their phone being quiet, sometimes messaging each other when they're right next to each other. And we've right. all done this. We've all done this when we, when we shouldn't have, that is rapidly replacing things. And the question for me is, is this intentional? You know, did, right? did is it intentionally dehumanizing or did the profiteers who control everything just say, hey, if we can get people sucked into our stuff, we can get more ad revenue and we can collect more data from them? Those kinds of things. I think we have to understand and we're more prepared to discuss this now actually post-COVID with all of the debates that we had to have over, say, communion and in-person worship how what is commanded in Scripture is in person, how the Lord's Supper must be celebrated in person. It cannot be replaced with a digital facsimile of that physical reality. Right. And so I think, too, the, the, the same is true for human relationships. And everything that is trying to artificialize, I mean, so we actually first went from artificial conception You know, you still had to have biological tissue, but it was still an artificial form of conception. That actually came first. And now we have artificial replacements for emotional interaction. And that's very deceiving for people. And the kind of uh, relationships, for example, they would see online or be conditioned uh, to through either movies or media that Christians shouldn't look at, like pornography, things like that, give people a distorted view of what human interactions look like and not just on the sexual end, but also just upon, on uh, how friendships look and why, why is bullying so severe, right? It's much easier to, to be evil to someone when you're behind a screen than it is to do it to their face. Right. But people never have the guilt of having to to look someone in the face, right? Mm -hmm. Or, or, or what becomes of that? So when they do see someone face to face, They don't see them as a human because they don't know what it means to be human. They don't know what it means that someone's made in the image of God. And so I believe that the digitization of all human interaction will lead to greater violence in the end because we can't see people as human.
1: Oh, without question on that, because as you say, there's this, this barrier which has set itself up between us, sometimes in a very literal sense. I mean, like when you go down to the store and they have the the plastic barriers in between you and the cashier, even though they're handling all your groceries, which I think is.
0: <laughs> right. And then you get to touch the keypad that
1: they've all done.
0: <laughs> or you try to hand them cash. That's my favorite now. Places like nobody's quite refusing cash exclusively, but they're making it almost impossible to use. Right. Sorry, corporate policy. I can only take fives. <laughs>
1: <laughs> or the, the exact change places. Right. Yeah yeah it's it it it's getting to be something else, but my point being that you know we have these barriers which are being erected between us, sometimes physical but more often digital. And because of that, as you say, it's creating this distance between us and we're losing what it means to interact with one another, one another, yeah. as humans, let alone as Christians.
0: Yeah. right. Now, on the flip side there, as the church begins to fall away, and I'm using the church loosely there. As Christians begin to capitulate or professing Christians begin to capitulate, the faithful, the faithful remnant are wondering, where is everyone else? And people are able, through digital means, to find Christians, like-minded Christians who are far off, and build something of a digital community. I don't think that's necessarily bad, understanding that that cannot replace the church, the local church, the congregation. Right, that you, that that cannot become a surrogate church. There's no sacramental reality present online. Right, uh, and and I think that our good guys out there know that, but we still need to check ourselves sometimes and go, okay, I got to take a step back from this because we really don't know those people out there, and you know who's a mole and who's not, right? <laughs> but who who's a real friend? And that's right. that's the thing. And so we have to be careful there. But I do, I do want to be very clear that there are some benefits here because a lot of guys out there and gals too w- are despairing somewhat um, because they're, they're going to a, a church and not hearing the gospel or they're hearing the kind of lukewarm or milquetoast version of Christianity and they're wondering where can they get it? Well, they're finding it through mass media of some kind. Or underground media, but we're gonna you know what I mean. Digital right, media. Right, 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 right. And and so they're finding it, they're hearing what they need to hear, and that's good, but it's still not the same as human interaction. So that you can enjoy digital media and find great benefit there. But you need to find that balance because you know, finding good and godly Christian sources online is great, but we're also we also don't want to fall into the ditch of just being a mindless scroller through the social media stuff, too.
1: Well, and maybe, and maybe this would be a time to bring in something like Second John or even Third John. Uh, I'll go. read Second John twelve. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Yep. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face, so that our joy may be complete. Yeah, and I. Th- and I think we can apply that, I mean, because writing itself is a kind of technology, and in a sense, it was a go-between, albeit a very different kind of go-between, but the fact that John felt the need to say, I would rather come to you and be in your presence to be with you, should say something to our increasingly digital age.
0: Right? Yeah, absolutely. It's And again, uh, I know I bring this up a lot, but it's like Paul at Ephesus, Right, right he tells them that they're not going to see his face again. They're not going to see him again. And they, and they weep and you don't get this idea that, you know, he never comforts them by saying, well, I'll just, uh, I'll just send letters and that'll be the same. Right. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll send, you know, something like that and that'll be just the
1: same. It won't be. (laughs) He doesn't say, here's my YouTube channel. You can just go there.
0: Yeah. And, and yeah, exactly. And, and it's a beautiful thing because I mean somebody out there is going to go on Twitter and go, well, obviously the ancient Ephesians didn't know that we would have Star Trek phones in the future,
1: <laughs> right? Well, and right, but at the same time, that but, doesn't but, change the fact, right? right?
0: But but the language is beautiful. It's it's sorrowing most of all for the words which you spoke that, see, that they would see his face no more. That they would see that's a that's a a reflection of him. They would not see him physically anymore. They would not be able to lay eyes on him and be around him. Cannot replace that. Um, It's like looking at a picture of a deceased relative or ancestor on the wall. You share blood with that person. You actually share something physical with that person. But once they're gone, they're gone. You can't replace that until the day of resurrection. Then you'll be able to physically touch them again. If, in fact, they were of the household of faith. Well, right. But, but. But that is one of the things we look forward to in the resurrection. We understand that the saints are in heaven now with God, but we also understand that the day of resurrection is coming. And, and one of the significant things about that is, okay, of course it is worshiping God forever, uniting new heavens and the earth, but it's receiving that glorified body and all things being made, made right, right, the vindication. And part of that is you don't go to see grandpa's ghost. You, you will be reunited with grandpa. Or mom, right. or dad, or that child you lost, or whatever—a a true and physical reunion, not a ghost party, or it's not the waiting room in Beetlejuice.
1: <laughs> well, there, there's the science fiction reference I was waiting for. But.
0: <laughs> but and it's and it's a wonderful thing, yeah. So the devil is going to exploit good things like the community that you could build online, and people are going to abuse it, and it's going to become dehumanizing. I think that's really at the heart of of most sins. Especially sins committed against someone. It's, it's dehumanizing it. It turns us into, into just mindless sort of consumers going through. And if you have uh, Facebook or whatever on your phone, you've all caught yourself just mindlessly scrolling, haven't you?
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, I'm, I've done it. I'm sure you've done it. We've all done it. I mean, that's what Facebook is designed to do, right? To encourage this kind of mindlessness. I mean, it's, it's part of its actual physical... Creation. I mean, they want you to use it mindlessly because that's how they make their money.
0: Yeah, and and you know, some social media networks are more compromised than others. I would say uh, more, and certain obviously not all websites, for example, are created equal. So that goes with that saying, right? And yet, you know, we still we still use it for the podcast. <laughs> we it's become almost an essential, a borderline essential commodity, uh, or excuse me, essential utility. And that's sort of the shame of it all. Um, If we want to reach the audience we do, we have to use social media today. I mean, eventually we're going to get shut down and we'll be circulating cassette tapes uh, through the mail or through (laughs) private carriers. And that's going to be awesome. You think it's fire now. Just wait till that era. (laughs)
1: When you when the only way you're gonna get word fitly is through some, you know, back back alley deals.
0: Yeah, just think about that when you're going through your through your church stuff, you're like, we should throw away this tape duplicator. When are we ever gonna use it? Hold on to it, fam. You never know.
1: <laughs> I'm I'm looking forward personally to word word fitly spoken carrier pigeons as well.
0: Right. It's gonna be it's gonna be shortwave radio and a series of tubes. <laughs> it's going to be awesome. I'm really. We'll, we'll be at a mountain compound somewhere. <laughs> so the reception will be horrible. Uh, but yeah, guys, so that is the setup for this episode. We're going to talk about, um, you know, we already understand the dangers here. We're going to talk a little bit about what it looks like to go off in solitude, what Christian community looks like, why it's okay to, to be alone and to, and to detox. We almost have to treat electronics like food that must be fasted from and you'll find great benefit in doing that occasionally if, if you can do it even if it's i mean for in some cases it's going to be like can you can you go an hour can you go half a day can you right. do that and maybe replace that with something else right like uh I, i'm telling you zellan a, a paper bible beats a digital bible
1: oh without question you know? without question i know we've talked about that before but well, we've got a whole episode on bible buying <laughs> there, there is something about having it physically there, if only because you don't have to stare at a screen. I mean, and wear out your eyes in the process. You know, wear out your Bible instead, so that you have to get it rebounded and, and fixed up. There's no, <laughs> there's no blue light with uh, with a, with a Bible.
0: <laughs> and with that, we'll be right back with more word fitly spoken. Right after this. You are listening to A Word Fitly Spoken. I'm Willie Grills here with Zoe and Heidi talking about unplugging from the digital world, unplugging from the artificial, and uh, getting back to that which is uh, more real, I guess we'll say. Uh, so we've highlighted some of the dangers. We've also highlighted, highlighted some of the blessings of uh, long-distance communication and digital communities. So now we're going to talk about biblical examples of what we of what, of what was done. We'll say, how did Jesus, for example practice his spiritual spirituality. And so a lot of this is going to focus on prayer, but of course, any of this can be applied to fasting, other things like that, of course, too. So we have at least a couple of examples of Jesus uh, withdrawing himself to pray alone. Um, we have Luke six, right? Zellin. Right. So in those days, Jesus went out to the mountain to pray and he spent the night in prayer to God. And then he prays the whole night and daylight came. He calls his disciples. There's some, you know, there's some stuff there. And then again, in Matthew 14, the walking on water, he had sent his disciples away. He goes up on the mountain again by himself to pray. Evening he's there alone, so on and so forth. They're buffeted by the waves, and he, of course, will, you know, teach them a lesson in the performing of the miracle. Where else do we see Jesus going off to pray by himself?
1: Well, I mean I mean, there's there's lots of times where he will. He will separate for a time, especially, I mean, you see it, like, I think in Mark, especially where it says that he separates himself from the crowd, go into the wilderness, this, this withdrawing himself away from the, away from groups. Um, But this is not just because he's being shy or because I think sometimes people will say like, oh, he's just feeling overwhelmed. So we need to. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) you know for his mental health or something like that. I I don't think that's what he's doing. I think what he's doing by withdrawing in this way, especially up onto the mountain in order to pray, is that he is in a sense unplugging from things so that he can dedicate that time in prayer to his yeah. father.
0: Now, it's also true that Jesus will pray publicly. He will, t- you know, he will teach us how to pray. When he gives us the Lord's Prayer, for example, he teaches publicly. So there is always the public and communal aspect of this. But Jesus also makes time to go off by himself to pray. Indeed, when Jesus is giving advice, or actually when he gives the Lord's Prayer, right? Just before that, he says, When you pray, in Matthew 6, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and the street corners. They must be seen by others. Truly, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, And pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And don't heap up empty phrases like the Gentiles do, for they think that will be heard in their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Instead, pray like this, and He gives us the Lord's Prayer. So practical advice, plus the actual examples of Jesus, or we've had just in three minutes, time to pack it up and call it an episode.
1: (laughs) Right. (laughs) Well, and especially with the admonition to go into the closet to pray so as not to be like the hypocrites, uh, the great temptation of being in public, and this is true even in the public assembly, is that it becomes something which I do in order to be seen. And then as soon as I get home when no one else sees me or maybe only my family sees me, well, then we don't need to go through all of these things because what we did in public was good enough. Kind of thing. So, I mean, there there is this great temptation that comes with a public performance uh, that leads to a kind of spiritual laxity, a spiritual flabbiness, as it will, which is what Jesus is is warning us against. And the the way to to go against that, of course, is to withdraw in order to uh, pray to your Father who is in secret, and He will reward you accordingly. So, I mean, and especially when it comes to an, a digital environment, I think there is a great temptation towards this kind of performance, Yes, uh, especially with uh, video sources, mm-hmm. uh, you know, because you're, you're putting it out there, your face is right there on the screen, it, it, and a good video, for example, is very close up to someone, it's very intimate, very personal, it really does become about what you are seeing. Now, I'm not saying that we can't pray in that way or that, you know, that there isn't some sort of connection that can be had there. But there is very much this performative visual aspect to being online, right?
0: Yeah. And look, you're going to share it on your church social media stuff because that's where people are going to see it. And that's that's just part of it. There's going to be some mild sharing. I don't know what the deal with pastors sharing the stuff they've made for their congregations on every single platform for the whole world to see. Right. I mean, I I understand that they want everybody to hear the gospel, get it. But is that really everything that's at work here? We've got to be very careful with that kind of, that kind of attitude. And then, as I've said many times before, I'm very leery of guys who put pictures of themselves on everything, always with their face front and center. I'm very leery of proper name dot ministries, things like that. I think that, you run a great risk of ignoring what Jesus says about prayer and practicing public righteousness in this way. You know, we see a lot of this, though, in the civil world, too. I don't want to just beat up on Christians. That's not right. But we do see this, and it's really telling. It's it's spiritually diagnostic. You'll You'll see someone who they'll typically go this way, like, I am just doing this for my local community because I love my community, or I'm just doing this for the kids or whatever. And every time it's a post of them donating something or them doing something, you know, really drawing attention to themselves, that is really rather common on social media. You know, look, look what I've done here for my community. I love my community so much that I, that I donated this. We see right. that a lot. We see that a lot. So not not just with Christians, of course, because Jesus makes the contrast too. He says, "Don't be like the hypocrites who stand in the synagogues, but also don't be like the Gentiles heaping up vain words." and things like that. Now that is it that's a temptation we fall into as well. When you're doing when you're ma- when you're putting together a product for lack of a better word that you're going to put out there on the internet, you want it to be better. And so for some reason a pastor is going to put a prayer that he wrote on Facebook or whatever. And that's fine, but you can tell he dug out the thesaurus.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you got to spice it up a little bit, right? Isn't right. that what that's for?
0: <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> and and you know Jesus actually speaks against virtue signaling a little bit too uh when he's when he's talking about the tax collector and the pharisee the publican and the pharisee I and mean, that really right, um, that right. really applies to this too i think I, i'm so glad that i'm i'm purer than this than this scribe over here this group over here now that doesn't mean that we don't rebuke error and we should Th- there are times when it we're really just appealing to our own orthodoxy if we're not careful I'm so thankful that I'm in a district that has literally no error and no sin. Oh, bully for you.
1: <laughs> oh. Well, and, and yeah, like you say, it, it becomes one of these things where maybe, these, maybe this happens even without us intending to do it. You know, there, there is the, the great danger that comes with this kind of publicness, especially with digital, uh, well, digital connection. Yeah, go you know, ahead.
0: And honestly, on the doctrinal side of things, I think the more you post to get likes and attention, the greater risk you come to falling into theological error. Because theological error is always novel and if you're going to if you're going to need your dopamine fix and you're going to need to get all these likes and shares for the sake of that you're going to have to come up with new ways to say things and very quickly you will come up with with heretical ways in which to say them or irresponsible ways in which you say them Sure, and 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 so if if you're more cautious with what you say, or you're not really concerned about likes, you're not getting revenue from it. That sort of thing, the temptation's sort of gone there. And people do receive their reward in a couple of ways digitally. Now they receive their reward either monetarily because they've monetized everything, or they receive it in you know dopamine hits because they really get excited. There's an emotional high that they get from social media accolades.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah well and like i say and that's and that's the temptation even for us as pastors if we are sharing these things and trying to get them out into every nook and cranny just because you know we like the likes and we want to get more of them we want to see we want to see our product as it were out in every corner every square i mean there there is always that real temptation and it is something that we have to fight back against so You know, we need to seek ways in which we can do that or at least find ways that we can continue to share things which are helpful, which are necessary, but not doing it uh, for personal gain. Well, what about when we're dealing with the example of, say, Jesus in Gethsemane, right? Right. Jesus is, I mean, granted, this is part of his passion. I understand that. But when he goes into the Garden of Gethsemane, and he only takes a few of his disciples with him, but even then, with the three that are with him, he then withdraws himself further away from them in order to pray. What, what can we make of that, Willie?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's like, bros, I got to go pray hard over here. I need to be, I'm going to need a minute or two alone, boys. Yeah, the Garden of Gethsemane is is particularly interesting because it shows, I believe, a kind of prayer that you really won't see in public. I mean, obviously, this is the most strenuous example of prayer that we have in the the whole of Scripture. Right. And of course, when you're about to take the sin of the world upon yourself, it's it's going to be a little stressful, not to make light of it at all. You need a private place where you can speak with God and not have to worry about prying eyes. And in the case of the disciples, he sort of leaves them over there, but then they immediately fall asleep. So they're even unconscious. But I mean, I think that that's, that that's the key here. You can be honest in private prayer in a way that you won't be in public prayer. You can say things that you typically wouldn't in public prayer, especially as a pastor. Because our job, especially not just Sunday, but every day, is to pray for the people under us, to pray for our flocks. And so... We do that in private, and that sounds very different from what it does in, in a Sunday morning service, right? Right. I mean, like you're going to be able to pray for rather private things that you can't there. You know, you can't go up to the altar and go, and well, you know, raise your hands and say, and we pray for Fred, who is dealing with, insert horribly embarrassing sin here, right? Or horribly embarrassing uh, medical problem here. Right. <laughs> and not that one prayer is necessarily better than the other, but it is different. It is different, and you know we're going to talk about this more in the third segment. But about praying until you're done, <laughs> you know,
1: right, right. Uh,
0: and and you, we'll talk about putting we talk about putting a timer on things, but that's more to get you used to the practice. There's going to come a time where you don't need to put a timer on something. You're going to do it until you're going to keep doing it until you're finished. But anyway, I'm sorry. Is there anything you want to say about the Garden of Gethsemane here?
1: No, I I I think you you hit the point really that even even in Jesus's uh, you want to say darkest moments, even when he's about to bear the the weight of the sin of the whole world and to take it upon himself on the cross, even then he still withdraws himself, unplugs as it were, in order to be closer uh, to his father. So I think there is something that we can take away from that and say that you know even in our darkest hours, even in our darkest moments, yet there is still a i how do you want to, how do you want to put it there is still a need which we have to be in that kind of communion with god and that's not something we should try to fill up with other things
0: yeah well and and let's let's have a bit of a caveat not a caveat but a clarification here <clears throat> at this point people are going to go that sounds a little mystical Zellin. you sound a little <laughs> like a pietist here are you saying that we commune with god in prayer
1: uh yes <laughs> I yeah. mean, yeah. I, I mean, I I don't know how else to put it because you are coming to God, you are speaking to the Creator of the universe, and that's not just you know putting in a recording for Him to listen to later. You're talking to God face to face. I mean, there is a communion there, yeah. right?
0: Yeah, I mean, and it is a, um, I mean, listen, what, what what privilege does the atonement of Christ give you than communion with God? Hebrews four let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in our time of need you are approaching the throne of god in prayer and he and he has given you access to it through yeah. jesus christ and th- that's a mighty thing to to be a part of
1: well that's that's even an access that was not universal say in the old testament no the 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 curtain is rent in twain it's done right. folks this is not a
0: you know, there's no, my, as Paul would say, my former life in Judaism, uh, <laughs> it, it is done. The temple is destroyed. Not one stone stands upon another. That system will never come back. And we have access uh, to God by the blood of Christ spilled out on the mercy seat, as it were. And so um, to, to go to God in prayer this way is to affirm what Christ has done, to affirm the prophecies of the Old Testament, to, pr- to affirm the fulfillment of, of the Old Testament. It's actually a, a bit of a confessional act if you will. Um that this is showing, you know, what you believe here. Not that we don't have direct prayer in the Old Testament, we know that, but the significance of that temple worship being gone means something for you right. and gives you an access that you didn't quite have before.
1: Right. No, absolutely with that. And then, you know, with this too, this this unplugging, this having access to, the, to God directly in the midst of our trials, that is something that we should not overlook because, like, it is, I mean, it is something that can't be replaced. You don't want to fill that up with digital kind of interactions. You don't want to fill that up with things that are only meant to distract because, in a way, these things are only going to lead us back to the world. And sure. uh, the more we spend time in the things of the world, the, the the less and less we're going to spend time in the things of God.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Knowing that there are times for recreation and things like that, but you, you got to, here's, here's, you know, here's what I'm saying. You got to get some fresh air and sunshine every now and then. <laughs> You've got to look at people. But again, that's more for segment, segment three. So we have biblical examples here. Uh, we have examples of of the prophets, you know, going off on their own and, at least in the example of Elijah, he meets God in a very striking yet subtle way. Right. And you meet God in a different way in private prayer. And I know that that's going to make some of you a bit uncomfortable. And we're going to talk about prayer books and we talk a lot about prayer books and how, how beneficial they are and how some people need them. But it's also going to be trying to focus yourself. And in a digital world, we're taught to be mindless and, if we're not careful that happens to us in the sunday service in the divine service at the liturgy it can happen with prayer books too and it can happen with something like the lord's prayer how many times have we said the lord's prayer in our life thousands at this point probably right and yet it's very easy to just go through them because we've memorized them you know is it really an effectual prayer if you're if you're not thinking about it is that really what paul is talking about with the holy spirit interceding for us when we don't have the words not really the context, is it? Right. The context is when you don't know what to say and you're, and you're groaning. The, the Spirit intercedes with groans. Okay, that's different. But you don't really have that promise when it's like, well, I'm just mindlessly wondering. Now, I can do the modern Lutheran thing. I understand, Zelman and go, well, that's okay because Jesus prays for you. And he does. Jesus does intercede for us, but that's no excuse for, just as much as that's no excuse for sin, that's no excuse for absent-minded prayer either. And there's a boldness, Zealot, in private prayer, like I said before, that you don't have. I wonder if the imprecatory psalms weren't didn't begin as private prayers.
1: Sure, sure. No, I, I can see that. <laughs> well, and and you mentioned like Jonathan Edwards at the very beginning of this episode, and quoting from the Religious Affections. I, I remember one occasion reading about his prayer, his practice of praying while he was riding his horse you know, just praying for long periods of time as he's traveling between places. And I think that was something that was fairly common in those days because, you know, you can kind of let the horse do what it wants to do and it'll keep going and you can be a little bit more focused on the things of God. But, you know, just asking ourselves, you know, do we find that kind of uh, time for prayer? Do we spend, you know, that kind of time in the things of God? Because, you know, it is a great privilege, which we have. Now, I'm not saying that we have to pencil out, you know, if you don't pray X number of hours, you aren't really praying. That's not what I'm saying. Sure. Of course. not. But we we become so distracted, so mindless in that sense that, you know, we think of that kind of praying as being almost physically impossible for us. But it's not. It doesn't have to be.
0: Yeah, Right.
1: Or I don't know, Andrew Jackson wandering around in the forest. Do we want to talk about that too?
0: It's Stonewall Jackson.
1: Oh, Stonewall Jackson, excuse Wait, me. Andrew Jackson wandered around in the forest, but probably for different reasons. <laughs> my mistake. I I I misspoke. Please forgive me. So Yeah, I mean
0: I do think there is a danger in becoming too too rigid with this, and that's kind of the story of Jackson where he says he writes, you know, I to like his pastor or whatever, it's like, well, I, I kept bowing my head and closing my eyes when I was out in the woods in prayer and I kept stumbling. Over things, and so I tried basically tried to find a verse in the Bible where it said I had to do that, and I couldn't. So I guess it's okay to keep my eyes open when I pray. And and there is there is a bit of this, and a danger to people on our side of the fence, as it were, to where we do get a little bit hung up on the form, sure, and forget about the content. And there's nothing wrong with good form. You absolutely want good form, but not at the expense of good content, good quality. I should
1: say the two are not exclusive of each other. Yeah. And they don't have to be. Right. And I think, like you say, I think the, the great temptation for us of the form and saying, as long as I went through the form, therefore, you know, I, I, I did what was necessary and, and, and that's good enough. We shouldn't approach prayer as a good enough kind of a thing. Well, yeah. And then we become
0: blind, you know, like the people who are seeing the guy pray on the street corner. It's like seeing the guy in the beautiful chasuble and just assuming that his theology is good. Right. Now, granted, there are certain outfits and certain looks that I can look at someone and tell you that the theology is pretty bad. <laughs> but outward outward form alone will not tell you if if the uh, if the content is good right? Right. Well, we've got to take a break. We'll be right back with more word fitly spoken right after this. Welcome back, everyone. You are listening to A Word Fitly Spoken. I'm Willie Grills here with and Heidi talking about unplugging, about prayer, about being alone with God and why that is a good thing. We're going to talk a little bit about practical ways in which we can limit our digital consumption and work toward a more proper way of life, uh, something that we all need to hear, especially nowadays. And yet, uh, we forgot to talk about one of the big reasons why people... Are online so much, or are plugged in so much? There is the siren song of social media and whatever that draws people in. It hypnotizes them. It conditions them. That is part of it. But especially on the theological side or the political side, we've become addicted to information, and we've become addicted into uh, this this feeling of wanting to be in the know, of always wanting to know everything, or the fear. I guess I'll say it this way: the fear of missing out on something.
1: Right. And that's that's the way it's often presented, even, even in secular sources, is this idea of the fear of missing out, that uh, social media especially creates this anxiety in us that there's something going on. And if we want to know what's going on, all we have to do is go to this source and we'll be able to know. But the problem with the, that fear is that as soon as you go into this social media, you don't feel a satisfaction. In fact, it is a sort of endless fear of missing out that you kind of have to know what everybody is doing at any given time. And so you're always coming back trying to find that same sort of, I don't know how you want to put it, the same sort of satisfaction, the same sort of feeling of being in the know, which you can never quite reach. And so the the great danger being here that, you know, you never will reach it and you'll just always be pursuing it. Right.
0: Right. And then because people want to be in the know, they also want to make sure we're in the know by sharing things that they should not be sharing with the world right. and it's everywhere. And, you know, never more so than in, in the modern times when I know what everyone wears on their face or puts in their bodies, you know, it used to be, I knew what, um, I knew what everyone ate because they couldn't stop posting pictures of food. Now I know what their vaccine schedule is. Right. And, uh, you know, if the Lord tarries and we're still here and still able to record history years from now, I wonder what the historians are going to do with all these posts of people telling me about how they always wear their mask and yet we know they
1: never leave their homes right <laughs> it it really does come down to a c and b scene kind of mentality and unfortunately uh one of the the great dangers with that is is that it does breed a kind of this worldly kind of this worldliness. Uh, this This desire to be in the things of the world, to be caught up in the things of the world, and it really can, in a very real sense blind us uh, to the glories of heaven because we 're always so fixated, got, fixated on, on in front of yeah, us.
0: fixated on missing out in the world right if i don 't do this, if i don't say what everyone else is saying i 'm not going to be able to participate in this worldly activity, or my kid's not going to be able to. That is, and, and that 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 attitude existed before the internet and before social media, but it has been magnified now, to the point of like you're expected to put a certain banner around your photo that you also have. I, I you know, more and more, I think anonymous online posting is the only moral option, Zelda. <laughs> <laughs> if they don't,
1: if the only way they know you is from a string of numbers, then you're doing it right. Is that right. what you're telling I'm
0: gonna, me? I'm going to transition. All my stuff into Apu cartoons. Um, <laughs> it's 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 an amazing thing. They dox you because they fear you, right? Because <laughs> they know it can damage you. Uh, yeah, it's 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 very strange where we live, and so yeah, people don't want to be missing out, and so they become so focused on what this trend is, or what the fad is, or what we need to be doing. Or they be- they become so worked up about some situation happening in Minnesota when they live in Florida, right? Or some media hoax or, or whatever it is. Uh, they become so preoccupied with that sort of thing that they don't even consider that they're children of God and heirs of eternal glory and will soon overcome this world as Christ has overcome the world, if indeed they persevere. And so... With that being said, understanding there are some spiritual benefits to online communities, which we want to keep. We're not going to advocate here a, a, a complete wholesale um, avoidance of digital communication because your phones work digitally now too, and everything else. I mean, you. Right. But at the same time, we are going to, we are going to caution uh, prudence. And I will. Ha- having said all that, I want you all to know that Zelwyn is actually recording this episode from a flip phone. <laughs>
1: Uh, probably truer than you know, but <laughs>
0: and I'm actually gonna let you talk because you've actually taken some great effort into uh, into unplugging recently.
1: Yeah, I have. I and and again, this is not something where I'm saying that you know what I'm doing is a one size fits all like we all need to do it kind of a thing. It's more of a recognition of what was happening to me, and I think maybe that's the first step towards all of this is to seriously evaluate your you know your usage seriously evaluate what is going on in your particular life and to consider you know how is this actually affecting me how is this you know how does this affect my my day how does this affect my attention do i find myself coming back to it continuously is it something that i can resist cuz some people out there are going to be able to resist very very easily and say that you know, I can just put it down and I don't need to worry about it because I'll just get to it later. But not everyone has that ability. Right. So are we going to provide a link to a Faraday cage? <laughs> or how to, we'll, we'll post on how to build one. How to build one, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I have taken some steps like trying to reduce usage, trying to get to, you know, being more deliberate about my digital usage. And I think that that is, being help, that is helpful for me. And uh, it is something that, you know, if if someone wants that kind of guidance, I can certainly offer suggestions for that. Uh, but it is, I think, self-examination and self-evaluation is probably the very first step, practically speaking, that we have to do, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's okay to, if you're going to pray, to turn the phone off Probably not going to be a major emergency while you're doing that, or at least keeping it in a drawer somewhere where you can't hear it. Turning the ringer off or turning vibration off, right? That kind of thing. You know, taking that time. And if you can't, and I and I would recommend if it, it's really hard to just go outside. You know, do something like that. Um, it does. You don't always. I'm not saying that you should turn off the phone only in times of prayer. I think there are going to be times where you need to just go sit in the sun, take your shoes off, put them on the grass and be a human right so it's not always going to be in prayer sometimes it's just going to be sitting and that <laughs> read you know you can you can read a book you can do what you want you can read the scriptures but sometimes it's okay just to go sit under a shade tree and you know and and th- there's that's the real first article gift god caused this tree to grow and he put the sun in the sky so you could have shade so go enjoy it
1: jonah style
0: <laughs> well, to a point, and I do have <laughs> i've got a lot of gourds a growing so um it's there's true. a there's a dark lesson for me there, i suppose uh, <laughs> but yes, uh, that sort of thing, and I know I say this all the time, and people can never tell if it's a meme or not. I do sincerely mean you need to get some sun right uh, you all out there i myself, and everybody, we all need sun, you need that vitamin D, but you need what you need what what God gives you um so sunshine, grass and a little bit of fresh air if you can find it. And you know, that's becoming difficult too. I think it's easier to unplug when you're in a place with some green space, much harder to unplug if you're living in one of those hellscapes from like Judge Dredd or something that are rapidly coming to you know <laughs> quadrants in the United States.
1: If if your world consists more of neon than of greenery and sun, yeah, maybe maybe you well, do need to Well, now, hold on now.
0: It's not. It's not bring neon
1: into this. (laughs) I'm thinking like, uh, you know, all these dystopian hellscapes of the future here, whatever the movies bring to us. But right. But I mean, there are also like options you could do to help you unplug from things. Like um, there are services, for example that you can actually limit the amount of time that you use. I mean, parental controls exist, for example, you could always employ them for yourself. If that, if, if time management is an issue, if you feel that, you know, you you could use a bit more discipline in that regard, there is also just, you know, using certain things rather than others. I mean, I mean, certain kinds of social media, of course, are designed to be addictive. They're designed to be time sucks. So, you know, Maybe unplugging from them or limiting usage or even in some cases just getting away from them altogether may be the answer for you. I mean, there there are lots of different things that we can do for this kind of unplugging, and it's not going to be a one-size-fits-all. We just need to, we need to figure out exactly what it's going to look like for you individually, right?
0: Sure, yeah. And just practical approaches, you know. And we've given the biblical case why. You know, Jesus <laughs> says so. Which they're going to say is a law. It's a law explanation. Jesus told you to. (laughs) Yeah, so it is. (laughs) And somebody will say, it is my Christian freedom to stay online all the time and to consume everything that big tech tells me to consume. And I'm going to tell you that that's actually not your Christian right to do. That's your supposed human right to do, but you've no Christian right to waste away, (laughs) to waste away your body and to waste away your mind.
1: Do I do I have to Colossians for it and say uh, redeeming the time here or what?
0: Yes, there you go. Don't don't bring the Bible into this. <laughs> yeah, everybody is kind of a soyjack, you know, nowadays because they want you to be. It's interesting. Not only do they want you to be mentally weak, so that they can sell you whatever. They want you to be spiritually weak because so then you won't even think about other consequences of it. But now it really seems though like they want you to be physically weak. That they want to just keep you strapped to a chair, like not not like Clockwork Orange style, but you know more, <laughs> like, you know, but but in a, in a different kind of way where you're just sort of there. You don't want to move. Yeah,
1: stay, you know, stay home all the time, just consume kind of a thing. I mean. It, it many things do come down to issues of control. I, that's that's kind of another episode in and of itself, but it, it is it is something we do need to be wary of. But I mean, just thinking of what Paul has to say about redeeming the time. I mean, his his point is is that the time which we are given is a is God given for one thing, but it's also limited. I mean, we are we are moving forward and moving forward rapidly to the the coming glory which will be ours in Christ, and, you know, how are we going to spend that time?
0: Yeah, and it might be just a helpful reminder that Jesus is coming. Sure. And uh, one way or the other, death is coming or Jesus is coming. And we, over the last couple of years, probably should have been reminded of that a lot more than we were. And that redeem the time these days are evil. And to make the best use of the use of the time. Not and and that will actually in many cases be contending for the faith and trying to turn as many people from error as we can. And there is a place for that on the digital battlefield, as it were. There really is. And but if we're at least if we're gonna spend time online, let it be fruitful, let it let it be contending for something good and not simply uh scrolling through looking at the latest meal delivery service ad or something like that. <laughs>
1: Well, you know, since Ephesians and Colossians are basically the same book anyway, but that's a discussion for another time. Thinking of Ephesians 5 with the parallel passage about redeeming the time, making or making the best use as the ESV says. I mean, you can you can go to your King James, willie, it's okay. <laughs> Paul continues and says, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So, I mean, there is also when we see in Paul's example, there are these other things which can distract, which can lead us to, you know, not make the best use of the time, to not redeem the time as it were. And we don't want to be drunk with technology, as it were. We don't want to be drunk with the fleeting promises of electronic things. You know, we want to focus on what is real. We want to focus on what is in front of us, which is the coming glory that comes through our Lord Jesus Christ. So yeah, we do want to be careful about how we use these things and to seriously evaluate, you know, how these things affect us.
0: So you're going to be sticking with your jitterbug then? <laughs> Maybe. Why not? <laughs> I'm just going to get one phone, put it in the kitchen with a
1: really long cord. I like
0: it. So the well, way it was.
1: I'll, I'll do you one better and just go back to the telegraph or something.
0: I'm going to do what my Amish neighbors do and put it in the barn, although that's kind of cheating for them. Right. If it, you know, and the Bible says if it's a sin for you, then don't do it. Right. I just, I don't know how they get around those rules. Not Amish, not going to judge them, but just outside looking in seems a little bit unfair. (laughs) If you're
1: trying to have your cake and eat it too. And, And unfortunately, it can come across that way. But I mean, other practical things that you could consider, you know, if you find that your phone is a distraction for some reason, maybe consider getting a different phone. You know, to to break it that way or to if the computer is a, is a distraction, maybe look for a different kind of interaction with the computer. You know, their abstention from these things can be a godly thing as well.
0: Yeah. And it's a question of what's going to work best for you. You have to have some measure of spiritual discernment there. And, and again, we're not saying all technology is bad. Um, obviously not. We're making a podcast. I think we both have air conditioning in the rooms that we're in.
1: I kind of do at the moment, but that's a different yeah, somebody. Question, so. Somebody
0: will come in and tell us why air conditioning is a sin, along with <laughs> ice cubes and neckties or something. <laughs> I've heard all of these things actually out in the wild. So
1: we need to go back to spring houses, is what you're telling me.
0: That's right. That's right. You know, there's, you know, all everything that we've said about digital media or whatever or, or electronics in general can be applied to nearly anything that could be abused. Right? You could apply that to alcohol or food if you want to. All In the same principles apply moderation and discernment, which we, which we need a lot of uh, discernment, however, is going to come through the study of the scripture and through prayer. And we really want to impress upon you the importance of actual physical interaction with people that making your digital communities is a good thing in many, in many instances, but it cannot replace the divine service in your life. And it cannot replace actual Christian interaction either. That you, that you in fact, do need both of those things. Now, when you go to church, and I'm going to you know mention a meme here that Zellin's going to cringe at a little bit, but it is heaven meeting earth. <laughs> it is fellowship with one another, but it is therefore with angels and archangels and all the company of heaven, that sort of thing. Uh, we are communing with God. We, excuse me, we are receiving communion in a, in a in I mean in a real way that you cannot receive in a digital platform, you need that. But then you also need that community because what does Hebrews ten tell us, Ellen?
1: Well, and that's what actually I was going to go to, which is that we should not neglect to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near.
0: Yeah, I think of the uh, Pir- or excuse me, the uh, reform theologian A.W. Pink. He he's what they would call a hyper Calvinist nowadays, a real hyper Calvinist, um, not not a regular Calvinist that Lutherans all call hyper Calvinist. Um, <laughs> so he goes beyond five points, we'll put it that way. But a very interesting guy uh, wrote um, a couple of you know very famous books in reform circles, but nevertheless he could never find a church that he thought was pure enough, and so he ends up just sort of spending his last days alone, like in a castle or something like that. I mean, he's just because he, he won't attend a church because all of them has, have gone astray. And you don't want to find yourself in that in that position. You want to do what you can to get to the best church that you can. And, and, and that's how you build community. But for some of you, that's going to mean you're going to have to travel a greater distance if you can. I actually am not going to advocate simply going to the nearest church because i believe that that could be just as destructive as some of the habits that we've talked about here. You know, your local church might not even be meeting right now. They might be meeting, you know, on on television and so when you wake up from St. Mattress on Sunday morning, whenever that is and you can finally get around <laughs> to service, that's not the same thing. And so finding a faithful church is going to now like like where we're at here, pretty easy because we've got pretty solid churches just about every exit on the interstate people your way, they're coming to your church or they're driving a bit, right?
1: Depends. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, depending on where they are, but you're still more geographically spread out by nature. Right. And some of you are going to be in certain regions where you're going to have to kind of really decide. I mean, when, you know, when we still lived in Kentucky, we drove an hour that was the nearest LCMS church and and we did it right. Basically the only Lutheran church. I don't know where the ELCA people were hiding there, but that was kind of what you had. And and that's a decision that, that you're going to have to make. Is And really, if you're younger, let's say you don't drive, it's going to be tougher for you. Or if you're in a position where, for whatever reason, you can't travel that long or can't afford to, this is the, the tension that you live in as a Christian. But don't let, if you can at all avoid it, the long distance communication replace actual physical interaction with your Christian brothers.
1: And if nothing else, the, the very act of traveling large distances, you know, let's say even substantial distances to go to church is going to be a spiritual benefit for you because that is time which you are spending traveling to receive the things of the Lord. You know, yes, the, the digital stuff is convenient. Yes, it is something I can pop on when I have 10 spare minutes, but that can also be, you know, a detrimental thing. We do need to focus on what is of value, what does have in. You know an eternal value and that time which we spend even in traveling to receive the word physically is time that will not be wasted
0: very very well said any final words before we wrap up today
1: (laughs) well i'm gonna go out into the woods and uh you may not see me again
0: (laughs) so if you see zelwin he's not going to be wearing hunter's orange please do not shoot (laughs) he's a rare and endangered species we want to keep him alive and I'll be in month.
1: I'll be in my buffalo skins too, just just to stay warm, so
0: <laughs> very good. Well this has been a Word Fitly Spoken. If you like what you heard and want to know more, check us out, at wordfitlyspoken.org, dot Facebook dot com slash WordFitly or Twitter at WordFitly. I'm Willie Grills here with Zell and Heidi. God love you and God bless.